Welcome to the Tokyo Lens Podcast, and as always, if you are a regular listener, welcome back. So, another episode here that wasn't planned out at all, but something came up today, and it kind of reminded me of a lot of stuff and made me want to put together this episode for you guys. So, before we jump into it, I'm going to start with a little bit of a story. The story is of my very first ever major culture shock here in Japan. And the story takes place in Tokyo back in 2005. You see, I came to visit Japan for the very first time ever in 2005. It was somewhere around late spring, early summer, and I traveled basically the entire country, ending up in Tokyo at the very end of the trip before heading back to Canada. I went out with some friends, and we decided to spend the night drinking and having a great time. I think we hit areas like the standards, like Shibuya and Shinjuku, etc., such on and so forth. However, in the midst of all of this, my friend turned to me and he said, we got to make sure that we don't miss the last train. This caught me by surprise when I heard the words, last train referring to the last train available for the night in Tokyo. And it got me wondering, is is there any form? There there surely must be some form of 24-hour public transportation that we could use to get back. And he was like, no, there's basically just a taxi. If you miss that last train, you're out of luck. And this here became my first ever major culture shock in Japan, which surprisingly was, was, you know, you imagine, okay, so allow me to give a little context behind this. You see, I'm originally from the area of Toronto in East Coast, Canada. I'm actually, I live outside, uh, I lived, I should say, outside of Toronto. But even the city of Toronto has basically some form of public transportation that is always running. If I'm not mistaken, I believe it was the streetcars. I I never really made use of it. So if I'm completely off base and wrong on that, then I apologize. But yeah, coming into Tokyo, which you imagine as a city that never sleeps, you imagine as a city that's just go, go, go all the time. You don't expect there to be a last train. You don't expect there to be this gap of of no transportation. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with the Tokyo train system, I'll give you a little bit of an overview. The last train of the night tends to wrap up somewhere between midnight and 1am. Some a little earlier, some as early as like 11.30pm, and most wrapping up around 1230 or midnight. And then the first train of the morning tends to kick off somewhere early on, I'd say 4.30, 5 o'clock. I'd say around 5 o'clock is fairly standard for the first train of the day for most Tokyo train lines. Now, again, it's I, I've been in Japan years and years and years, and this is one of those minor culture shocks that I've just never gotten over. You see, there, there's a whole range of culture shocks that I've never gotten over from female cleaning staff 
normally walking through a men's washroom during open hours or any number of other things that I'll probably put into an entirely different piece of content. But this whole last train one is is one that has puzzled me for a long time. And I think one of the reasons that it puzzles me is because there is no definitive, stated, obvious reason for why it is the way it is. But before I get into that, I want to take a little bit of time to talk about the culture surrounding it. So Last Train is a part of many little subcultures in and around Japan. You see, missing Last Train often comes in two forms. It'll either be the accidental form, like you drank a little too long with your friends, or you worked a little later than you were initially expecting and you accidentally missed the last train, in which case you've got a couple options, we'll come back to that. Or there's the option that you have committed to whatever you're doing for the night with whoever you're doing it with. Maybe you're going out clubbing for the evening, maybe you're doing any number of things that requires you to be out past midnight or one o'clock, and you've committed to the choice of missing the last train. In fact, it's one of those things that I think a lot of people who decide to go clubbing in Japan find to be a bit of a pain in the arse, is that a lot of the clubs won't open until one or possibly two o'clock in the morning, but last trains will finish somewhere around midnight. So you'll get to wherever you're going, whether it be Shibuya or something like that. And you just basically have to wait around, maybe pre-drink, do whatever you do. I haven't gone out to the clubs since probably 2008, 2009. It's, it's been a long time. Uh, Japanese clubs, by the way, are a lot smaller than what I think a lot of us are used to in the West. They can get really cramped. They can get a little crazy. The few times that I did go out to them, it was a decent time. It felt a lot safer than some clubs back in North America. I was never much of a a club goer, but, you know, I I did have friends who were like, come on, man, you got to come out. So, you know, in the interest of experiencing everything possible in every country, why not go out and try it, right? If, uh... If you have people with you and you're interested in seeing what it's like, I would recommend going out and trying it at least once. That way you can say that you've done it. Um, Anyways, sidebar over on there. But let's take a look at the situation where you haven't really chosen or committed to missing this last train, where you've just kind of missed it. In this case, you have a couple options, and obviously the option that you pursue is going to be more dependent on your situation, whether you're working the next day or not, whether you have people with you or not. But there are a couple fairly standard options. Say, for example, you're not working the next day. A really popular standard option in this case would be just going out for a night of drinking. Obviously, that's going to be a lot better if you have friends or people with you. Um, I don't think there are that many people who are like, you know what, I'm just going to drink clear through to 5.30 in the morning all by myself. Another popular option is hitting one of the karaoke bars. Now, karaoke in Japan, for the few of you who don't know, I feel that most of you probably will, is not quite the same as it is in the West. You see, karaoke in Japan is more... You get a private room, 
and you know you you kind of book out the room for a certain number of hours and it's fairly cheap you're looking anywhere from 300 yen to 700 yen per hour or even cheaper if you have a membership card for the karaoke room and a lot of people will either go by themselves or with a group of people to a karaoke room and either just enjoy the food drinks and atmosphere of doing karaoke until first thing in the morning or they'll go and just pass out there's also the option of hitting up one of the cheap hotels whether it be something like a capsule hotel a business hotel a love hotel there are any range of cheap places to stay in most given areas each hotel comes along with it its own kind of connotations and cultural background and such on and so forth. I'm not going to get too deeply into that. One of the cheapest options that you can go to in the hotel range is going to be the Capsule Hotel. And interestingly enough, for as long as I have stayed in Japan, I have never set foot in a Capsule Hotel even once. Like, not even once. It's one of those things that I've, I've never really had the, the need or the opportunity to do. You see, I've never accidentally missed the last train, so I've never been in the position. And even if I was in that position, I would more than likely go for the other option on this list, which is an internet cafe. You see, in Japan, an internet cafe more often than not will give you your own private room so you'll have like a little room and a computer and everything like that and you can register so that you have computer use or you can just opt out of computer use and not need to register and just pay the minor fee more often than not i think you can get like a four or five hour night package for something like 900 yen so like eight nine dollars which isn't too bad at all a lot of these places will have an all-you-can-drink drink bar with like sodas and all these other drinks and more often than not they'll have things like onion soup or um, corn soup or potato soup right there in the vending machines included and in everything or you can get things like cup noodles and ramen and everything like that available for sale in addition to what's there if you're interested in reading manga comic books then there are also manga books there for you to read most likely they are all going to be in Japanese. So if you're studying Japanese and you want to get in some practice, there's your opportunity right there. So there are obviously other options in this list right now. I'm just kind of going through the obvious ones to kind of provide a brief summary. So one of the reasons that I am bringing this up now is because I found this article online Originally, it seems through Soda News and copied over to Japan today. As I always do, I'm going to link it in the description. It's a super short article, and I just want to walk through it with you guys. That kind of caught my eye and refreshed me on my feelings on this topic. The title of this article is Last Train on Yamanote Line in Tokyo to Leave 27 Minutes Earlier. That's right, earlier. They are moving up the time of the last train on the Yamanote line, which is kind of a pain because I live on one of the metro lines, but I'm within walking distance-ish of, it's not really walking, it would be a walk, but I'm within walking distance of the Yamanote line. And any time that I have missed 
the last train on the Tokyo Metro, the Yamanote line has still been running for an additional 15, 20, sometimes 30 minutes after that. So I've just caught the last train on the Yamanote line and just walked it home from there. So the fact that this 20 to 30 minutes is now being shaved off is is kind of a surprise for me. But without further ado, let me just walk through this article with you guys. So it says, in Tokyo, the party can keep going all night with bars, pubs, and clubs that stay open until the morning light. Okay, so apparently we're, we're rhyming. Um, I, I was not aware that this was a rhyming article, uh, but we're rhyming. However, if you've got something else you'd like to do before sunrise, like, say, go home and get some sleep, You'll want to keep the re- keep the time of your last train in mind while you're out partying. So basically what we've been saying as we've been talking through this podcast episode. The JR Yamanote line runs in a loop around downtown Tokyo, passing through nightlife hotspots like Shibuya and Shinjuku, plus Harajuku and Ikebukuro. But for passengers wanting to make their way from those stations to Shinagawa, one of Tokyo's most convenient transport hubs at the southeast tip of downtown, the timetable for the last train is going to be changing due to large-scale construction taking place near Shinagawa, which is precluding the use of storage depot tracks for cars going out of service for the night. Okay, so... Let me pause here for just a second and kind of summarize what all of this means. So a little bit of a a background information on this. There is a new station being built on the Yamanote line called, I think it's uh, Takanawa Gateway. It, It was a huge thing on Twitter when they announced that they were going to be naming it Takanawa Gateway. Apparently, a lot of people thought that it wasn't the best of names. Um, There were some hilarious Japanese memes out there. Um, Anyways, all sidebarred. The construction of that station is underway as we speak. Now, the storage depot tracks for cars going out of service for the night this was the the last line in that you see all of these trains get stored and maintained during the nighttime and so right now the storage depot for these tracks has actually gotten the these cars has actually gotten further away and so it's one of the reasons that they're doing this i don't feel that the article covers this very well but one of the main reasons that they have to shorten the time yeah, I've, I've read a separate Japanese article which explains it much better is just simply the storage depot for the train cars the available train cars has gotten much further away so in order to accommodate that and the staff and basically all the changes that need to come along with that while they're doing the construction they're shortening the time does that summarize that I hope that summarizes it. We'll jump back into the article now. So it says, For example, previously, the last train from Shibuya to Shinagawa left Shibuya Station at 1.07 a.m. But under the new timetable, you'll need to be on the 12.40 a.m. train 27 minutes earlier if you want to make it to Shinagawa. Other changes include, and it just lists off some other changes, the 12.51 is changing to 12.24, the 1 a.m. is changing to, you know, they're, they're all basically 37 minutes or so different. 
Um, the latest one being Osaki to Shinagawa, changing from 1.16 a.m. to 12.50 in the morning. And the article wraps up by saying, it's worth noting that the previous last trains to Shinagawa aren't being discontinued entirely, except for the latest one, the 1.16 train from Osaki. However, under the new schedule, they'll only go as far as Osaki Station, one station west of Shinagawa, and a 22-minute walk away, which is probably too far to make it on foot if you need to catch another train from Shinagawa to get back to your home or hotel. The new schedule goes into effect the night of March 16th. So that's the article. The article that kind of inspired me to put together this podcast episode because I was like, whoa, when I read this at first, um, before I found the Japanese information talking about how the entire system was basically based on how far away they had to park the trains. I was like, this is absolute craziness. But there's one thing we haven't really covered in this podcast episode. And it's one thing that I want to talk about a little bit right now. I mentioned it at the beginning, but it's that question of why. Why are there no 24-hour trains running in Tokyo? Why is this even happening? Well, you see, it's been something I've wondered for a while, and I've actually spent a fair chunk of today looking into it in both English and Japanese, and there are a lot of fairly solid theories out there that are backed up by a lot of evidence, um, but there's not any real statement from either the train companies or the government. Because, you see, for those of you who are unaware, Tokyo's train lines are run by multiple companies. So the way it was explained to me the very first time before I came into Tokyo was that there are trains that are run by, for example, Japan Rail, and then there are trains that are run by private lines. It's kind of a confusing explanation, so allow me to break it down a little more clearly. So Japan Rail runs the majority of the, the major trains that spread across the country. And this includes a lot of the major train lines in Tokyo, like the Yamanote line. In addition to this, there is another company called Tokyo Metro. Tokyo Metro runs the subway system in its most basic form. However, Metro isn't limited to just Tokyo Metro. There's also another Metro company called Toei Metro, which runs some of the older, uh, I, I, I don't want to misspeak here, but I'm just going to go for it and say older and less convenient kind of B-lines, if you will. Um, and these are the, I, I, the trains run a little less frequently. They're still technically called Metro. They're still marked with a colored circle the same way that Tokyo Metro is. But I personally have never found them to be as useful and the trains themselves more often than not are much older also a lot of the toei metro lines will actually connect to trains going completely outside of tokyo so whereas the tokyo metro lines a lot of them will stay contained for example the ginza line which will run from shibuya to Asakusa, just back and forth, those those two locations, and doesn't go anywhere else. There are 
some Tokyo Metro lines, for example, like the Hanzomon line, which continues on into the Denintoshi line and stuff like that. But I'm really sidebarring here. So we have covered the JR lines, we've covered Tokyo Metro, and then there are, like I mentioned before, the Denintoshi line, there are additional private lines. There are several companies like Tokyo and, you know, a couple others that run their own like Seibu line or Tokyo line. And they're usually based off of like heading in from one area. So for example, the common ones in like Shinjuku or Ikebukuro are the Seibu lines, like the Seibu Shinjuku line or the Seibu Ikebukuro line. Shibuya has a lot of the Tokyo lines. So like Tokyo trains will expand off from there. And they kind of get you out into the suburbs, uh, out into some of the bed towns that are close to Tokyo. Now, there are a few of these uh, privatized lines, if you will, or not, you know, JR Tokyo Metro lines within the city. For example, the Toden Arakawa line. It's more of like a streetcar style line that exists in the, oh, I'm trying to think here, more like northeastern area of Tokyo in one of the Stamachi-style districts. It's a beautiful train. In fact, a long time ago, the shamisen players Kiki that I worked with had the opportunity to do a performance inside one of the trains as it was moving. But I digress because I have gotten massively distracted, as I always do. Getting back to this question of why. So with so many different train lines, with so many different companies operating, you would think, even with the buses and everything, you would think there would be someone who's like, well, you know what, we're just going to run 24 hours because nobody else is and we can make the money. But nobody does it. And I have yet to, now this is purely based on my own research and me not putting enough time into it. So I do apologize for that. I also do feel a follow-up coming on this episode. So hold tight for that. But I have yet to find any Tokyo bylaw that specifically states that a transportation company must wrap up their service by a certain time, but there may potentially be a bylaw for that. The most readily available explanation when searching for this in Japanese, is maintenance. And to be frank with you, I don't buy it. I don't, I don't buy it at all. You see, if you wrap up your service around 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning after the last train docks, and you start up your service at 5 a.m., you're not going to convince me that every single one of those trains are going to get maintained in that three to four hour window. I highly doubt that you're running a crew that, like, what, what, what are they, magical elves that are, I'm, I'm not even going to get into it. There's no way that you're going to maintain every single train in Tokyo in a span of like two and a half to four hours. It's just not going to happen. And even if maintenance was the real goal, you could still run a skeleton crew of trains that run maybe once an hour, once every half hour, whatever it may be. Um, now, one of the other odd explanations that I saw was energy saving, which to me personally makes a lot more sense than it does to have 
the uh, the maintenance one. But then there was a theory that I found on a blog online. Um, it seemed to be fairly well backed up. And I'm going to paraphrase and summarize it because I really liked it. You see, the theory was that it kind of enforces a national mandatory curfew. And this, this as somebody who has worked for a Japanese company in the past for the better part of a decade, this is something that I believe makes a lot of sense. This, this could really be it. You see, it forces the workers to not be able to work too late. So allow me to sidestep on this and give you guys a little bit of background as to what it's like to actually work in a Japanese company. You see, when you are working in a real like Japanese company, especially as a Japanese person, so I'm going to share the experiences of a lot of my Japanese co-workers rather than my own because I don't feel it would be fair to share my experiences because I don't feel that I was under the same pressures or felt the same, you know, social... I don't feel like I was held to the same social expectations as some of the Japanese co-workers were. So for me, if I wrapped up my job and I was done, I, you know, I, 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 was, I was the boss of the place. I, I could leave basically whenever I wanted, as long as my work was done. In fact, our company had flex time and I would use it. Uh, I would show up early some days and leave early some days. And even though I wasn't a Japanese staff, that was something that I was borderline harassed about quite often. Like, other people are not using the flex time norm. You should not be using the flex time. The flex time is more just there so that we can say we have it. Um, but there's an understanding that we don't use it. You're expected to be working during these hours. And for the most part, I was able to, you know, work within that pressure but still kind of ignore it but Japanese staff not always so much you see more often than not even if their shift started at like 11 a.m or noon or something like that if they were coming in I would see them rock in fairly early just to catch up on work a lot of them coming in as early as nine or ten o'clock just so that they could get a jump start on the day and there were days where I worked a lot of overtime as well. It just kind of came with the, the job and the responsibilities attached to it. So there would be days every now and then where I would work a fairly long day. I, I would rock in maybe 10 o'clock, 9 o'clock and not leave until, you guessed it, last train. And there were days where more often than not, I would see some Japanese staff who would arrive at the same time as me or even before me, and do the exact same thing. And the the panic in that last 20 to 30 minutes as everyone is trying to wrap stuff up and get to their last train, that, that, the second that someone's like, oh, what time's your last train? Oh, my last train's at this time. What time's yours? Oh, mine's at this time. Last train became this kind of subculture within the work environment. You see, no matter what was thrown at you at work, no matter how much was put on your plate, no matter how much they told you, you need to do this. Like they could tell you, well, 
we need you to come in early. Uh, we need you to come in on your day off. And more often than not, if you want to maintain your position or even move forward in your position, if your boss tells you, I need you to come in and do this, I need you to come in early, I need you to stick around late, you you do it. You do it. Because if you don't, one of your coworkers around you is going to do it. And all that's going to happen is you're, you're going to, you know, maybe lose your position or you're not going to get the promotion that you're going for, something like that. Or you're going to have the eyes of everyone on you or, you know, the, the topic of Japanese work culture and the doing stuff versus not doing stuff is a topic for another time. But what I'm getting at is the one thing that they can't make you do is miss your last train. They just cannot say to you, hey, we, we need you to stick around past last train and take a taxi home. I'm sure that there are some companies out there that do that. I'm 100% positive of it. In fact, simply out of the, the interest of not getting sued, I'm not going to mention any company names, but there are companies in Japan that have been sued simply because they have worked their workers to death. This is an actual part of Japanese culture where they have put so much pressure, so much stress, and worked workers so much that they have had no days off and the workers end up either dying from health issues or taking their own lives. But for the most part, having a last train, I feel, really mitigates a lot of the overwork that I would see a lot of my Japanese counterparts doing. Some Japanese counterparts would from time to time maybe i i think honestly okay i don't want to oversell this in the seven plus years that i worked full-time in a japanese company maybe three to four times i saw a japanese staff member voluntarily miss their last train simply because the workload on them and the pressure that they had to complete the work that there was to do was simply too large. The majority of this happened during a time where the company went through a major changeover. Uh, there were a lot of bugs in the system and a lot of trouble and just data was getting lost and some of the staff just could not get their work done. And they feel a great deal of responsibility towards their company and their job, as I have spoken about in a previous piece of content. And so they don't want to leave without 100% having every part of it done. And so they opt for the option that I think for most of us sounds borderline crazy, which is to miss their last train, work extra late, and maybe find themselves a hotel or something nearby. Or if they live close enough, perhaps bite the bullet and take a taxi home. Now, Again, this I've, I've tossed in a lot of my own anecdotes into this, but the blog that I found that talked about this made a really good point, and it's that this sickness, death, and everything from physical to mental health detriment that comes from overwork in Japan is ingrained in the culture. And having a mandatory curfew for the last train or for the country might not be all that bad of a thing. You see, 
I know I can say firsthand that if it wasn't for this last train subculture that existed within the working day, I would have friends right now who probably might not even be here. I have a good friend who works for a Japanese company right now who every single day works until last train regardless of what time he starts. He will start work some days around noon. He will start work some days around 7, 8 a.m. He may open the office first thing in the morning and it does not matter. He is pretty much there until last train every single time. The only thing that gets him out of that office is the fact that there is a last train. Even his lunch break, more often than not, is just him standing in a corner somewhere, scarfing down a rice ball onigiri, and then getting right back to work. He is by far one of the least healthy individuals that I know. And in cases like that, I personally am kind of grateful for the last train something that started out as this major culture shock that I for the life of me could not understand the benefit of something that for years I was like Japan is just missing so many economic opportunities by not having a 24-hour transportation service but it gives birth within it to all of these other subcultures like this working subculture or this what do you do when you've missed the last train subculture and i think it's something that it's not just enjoyed by the japanese locals but those who come to live in japan or visit japan alike all have this they all have that that defining night or moment where they have to make the choice. Am I going to stay out all night? Am I going to really commit to this? Because there are going to be no more trains until about 5 a.m. And really, when it's only a couple hours away, still knowing that you are out until 5 a.m., it just feels like a bit of a commitment. Or am I going to just say, forget it and go home for the night? Along with that, all of the little mini subcultures built within that, like the karaoke world at night or the bars and restaurants that thrive and survive off of this. There are so many tiny little subcultures embedded within the culture of Japan that makes it up. And it's a topic that more and more and more you've probably noticed me bringing up in the podcast because the subcultures of Japan can be just as interesting, if not representative of Japan, as the overall culture itself. The first time that I got a real deep peek at this was when I got into the car world. And in a previous podcast episode, I talked with a friend, Albo, who is deep inside of the car subculture, which embedded within its own has all these other little subcultures, the the grip racing subculture, the drift racing subculture, all of these. And each and every single one of these becomes a rabbit hole that you can fall down so incredibly deeply into. I myself, for regular listeners, listener, the word I was going for there is listeners, for regular listeners of the podcast, 
And for regular consumers of the Tokyo Lens YouTube content, you will know that my life centers around an instrument known as the Tsugaru Shamisen. Shamisen culture in its own, or wagaki, or Japanese instrument culture in its own. That's a subculture. And within that, another little subculture being shamisen. But believe it or not, even within the shamisen genre, there's more subcultures. There is the Okinawa Sanshin. There is the Kyoto-style shamisen. There is the Tsugaru-style. I play the Tsugaru-style of shamisen. Now, amazingly, even within that, there are still more subcultures. And I could keep breaking this down more and more and more. But the point is, it's a never-ending rabbit hole. And for those of you who are really interested in Japan, I think a lot of us start by just trying to get a general feel for what Japan is, what the country is like, whether we do it through reading, whether we do it through podcasts, whether we do it through TV, movies, YouTube, whatever it is. We try to get a picture built in our mind of the big picture of Japan. And that's a great way to start. And I recommend everybody to do that. But the more exciting part of the journey starts when you start to narrow in on the subculture within the subculture of the subculture that really appeals to you. I think it's one of the reasons why so many of us kind of lean towards falling in love with Japan is simply because there is something in it for pretty much everybody. There is a subculture built somewhere within this country that definitely appeals to pretty much everyone. And I think a lot that kind of same thing can be said for a lot of our home countries as well. But more often than not, we are attracted to something that is different from us because as humans, I think we really like to learn. We like to learn about ourselves. We like to learn about the world and humans around us. So what I'd like to encourage within this is if there's any small piece of Japan, any minor subculture that you're interested in, hunt that down, learn about it, go deep. The people you make and the people you meet and the friends you make along the way will more than likely end up being lifetime friends. I can tell you right now that when I was deep inside the car culture, the friends that I made with that are still my friends to this day. We still get together. We still go and have drinking parties. We still celebrate the end of the year together. It's a fantastic thing. Same can be said for Shamisen. In fact, my entire day today was spent putting stuff in boxes and speaking to and hanging out with Shamisen friends. So if you are really looking for your little chunk of Japan, I guarantee you it's there. And I've sidebarred this deeply into the subculture discussion because I wanted to point out that something as simple as the question of why is there no 24-hour train service, why does the last train exist, really looking into something like that. And I, I, as I said, you know, outside of the other stuff that I did today, I spent the better part of the afternoon just trying to finally answer that question for myself. And a lot of the answers ended up being really obvious, but it gave me a greater appreciation 
for the subcultures that were built around this simple choice not to have 24-hour transportation. It made me take a look at the people in my life, the friends that I have, and the people around me who depend on this last train to keep their health and to get them home. And in the end, yes, this is all part of a much deeper problem that could probably be addressed in a much different way. But for now... For now, it's a very effective band-aid that has given birth to many incredible little pieces of Japan that wouldn't exist if there were 24-hour trains. And that's what I love about all of this. I love that something so seemingly mundane, simple, borderline confusing, something that was, for me, originally the very first real culture shock that I ever experienced in Japan, that all of this could come together in this way and become a topic that I'm deeply interested enough to sit down and talk to you guys about for, what, the better part of 40 minutes now. It's amazing how these tiny little things can spark something much bigger. I know I've said it for the last two podcast episodes, but there's another podcast episode that I have just been waiting to get out to you guys forever. But these little things keep popping up and I want to share them with you guys in the moment. I want to record them and I want to get them out to you while they're still fresh inside of me. So I hope that you guys have enjoyed this weird little podcast on the last train situation in Japan or in Tokyo, and the subcultures that have been built around it, as well as all this other random sidebar talk about subculture. But again, these little things and, and just finding a rabbit hole that you're interested in going down and just, just chasing it, there's, there's nothing that I could recommend to you more than just finding your own little rabbit hole, no matter what it be, and just chasing it for an afternoon it can add so much to your appreciation for Japan or whatever else you are in love with. So if you got a bit of time, definitely go for it. Anyway, guys, speaking of if you have a little bit of time, it would mean the world to me if you would take 10 seconds out of your day to jump onto iTunes and leave a review for this. It really helps me out. And every single time that I see one of those pop up, it puts a huge smile on my face. To those of you who have jumped on lately and added a review to iTunes, I really, really appreciate it. I love seeing them there. I really love reading them. Thank you guys so much. With that being said, I'm going to wrap this podcast episode up here for now. I'm going to wish you guys the absolute best of day, best of week, weekend, whenever you're listening. I hope it is fantastic. And you guys know I will talk to you again real soon.